For every team except for one, March Madness turns into March Sadness as Oklahoma gets bounced out of the NCAA tournament by the best team in the country, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Um, Rich, I think I've already put you on the hot spot here, but I'm going to do it again because I don't remember where your bracket. Actually, last time we talked about brackets, you didn't have yours filled out. Is Gonzaga going to win the national championship this year? Best team in the country? I, right I don't now, know. Yes, but in two weeks, will they be the best team in the country? I don't know. It, it's extremely difficult, Matt, because the one thing that you and I had discussed was the idea of going undefeated. And Gonzaga's mm-hmm. coming into the tournament with a zero in the loss column right. to run through what has become the NCAA tournament and the caliber of teams with the numerous upsets that happen. It's it's winner go home. And there's a lot of pressure in those moments. And teams, when their backs are against the wall, some respond differently than others. And it's those teams that respond differently that ultimately pull off those upsets and make deep runs into the tournament appearance, surprise appearances in the final four. I think Gonzaga, after watching them, they're they're a team that can do, essentially they can hurt you from every single level of the game. They're not going to rely on just one player to get things done. They can rely on the guards when they need to. They can go inside and hurt you with Timmy time and time again. And when you have that capability, there were a lot of teams, Matt, in this tournament that had quality, top quality big men, and they're being eliminated left and right. Gonzaga is one of those teams. They just haven't been eliminated at this point in time as we look at the Sweet 16. So I think they can win it. They've got the poise. They've got the talent. They've got the team chemistry to win the national championship, but anything can happen. They're the odds on favorite for a reason, though. Yeah, for sure. And the thing is, you know, I I go back to what I said when the bracket released. This was just a terrible draw for Oklahoma. There's no shame in losing to Gonzaga. When you you talk everything you just said, undefeated team, I think only once this season a team has played within 10 points of them. Yeah, West Virginia. Right. And so there's, there's absolutely zero shame in losing to the team that they lost to. You would just rather, as a fan see that be in the round of sweet 16 or elite eight and Oklahoma has no one but themselves to blame for the way they, they finished the season. Um, but man, I really wanted to be wrong on how I felt whenever I saw this bracket, but I was like, yep, they're going out in the second round. I was confident they would beat Missouri and just had zero confidence that they could beat Oklahoma, uh, beat Gonzaga. And that's not a, this is not a knock against this team as much as it is just understanding how good Gonzaga really is. And to everything you just mentioned, that's the reason why I didn't think that they would be able to win this game. And so now you, I want to talk about Lon Kruger, you know, it's it's crazy. Spring football is officially underway and we're going to spend some time talking basketball because it stills, it stills the the news cycle um, midweek here. But, but I want to ask you this on your bracket. We're at the round of sweet 16 games start back up on Saturday. Is your final four still intact? Oh no, absolutely not. Okay, so tell- I mean, my my national champion was already knocked out. Oh, so dang. there's there's one final four component to it. I had another team. I think that I put into the final four. I, let's be honest. When the upset started happening in the first round and then continued mm-hmm. in the second round, I stopped looking at my bracket because I knew that it was already doomed. Now I didn't have anyone in the in the final four that lost in the first round, except for Texas. 
You had so, Texas like, in the final four? Yeah, man. Like I said, I it my my bracket it imploded upon itself. I picked a couple teams in orange and all the teams in orange failed me. Not Oklahoma state. Texas was one of those. Illinois was another. And all of a sudden, like I said, my bracket has fully imploded. And I've just, if I'm, if I'm not sitting in last, I would be surprised. I'm, I'm speechless. You had Texas in the final four. What, why? I mean, Matt, you said that they were the best team in the big 12 all season long. Doesn't so they mean played Baylor or worthy, but holy cow. I mean, they won the big 12. And I, I said that the big 12 was the most competitive league in the country. I think the PAC 12 has been surprising every single team that they Absolutely. faced. Absolutely and when we, agree. when we begin to talk about teams, Matt, that are, are going to make a strong push mm-hmm. late here in the tournament, USC has got to be at the top of the list right now. They're playing incredible basketball right. and nobody can seem to figure out the, the, is it the Mobley brothers that are playing inside and out? Nobody has been able to solve that riddle in the, in the latter half of the season so far. Yeah. Uh, you know, Oregon's playing really good basketball right now as well. They were a uh, number seven seed. And I think that's who um, USC plays next. Um, okay. So I look, I've got all four of my final four still alive. I'm just, how many do you have still left? Do you know? No. Okay. So like I said, man, I haven't even looked at, looked at my my bracket since it all imploded. I mean, I, I'll tell you this though: I had Illinois as a Final Four. Okay. I had Texas. I think I actually had Gonzaga in that Final Four, but losing in the Final Four. Yeah. And I have Baylor as well. Okay. So the, those were the four teams that I had going to the Final Four. Okay, I've got two of them. My my, my Final Four on one side of the bracket was Gonzaga versus Michigan. And then on the other side of the bracket, bracket is Baylor and Houston. And then I've got Gonzaga and Houston playing in the championship game with uh, the fighting Kelvin Sampson's winning it all. Um, I, I'm still, I'm still like, the, we're, we're going to move on in the podcast. I just can't believe you had Texas in the final four. Um, look, Lon, man, Kruger, look. <laughs> Lon Kruger announces his retirement uh, from the university of Oklahoma after 10 seasons. Um, you and I, uh, had the pleasure of being around Lon Kruger, Kruger sitting in his office doing videos and interviewing him, attending practices and so forth. There's nothing but good things on my part to say about Lon Kruger, whether we're talking about what the product on the floor was or the character behind the man. Um, you just, just some general thoughts that you have on Lon Kruger's retirement. Yeah. When it came, let me start off by saying this. The fact that Lon Kruger has retired isn't shocking. It isn't extremely surprising to me. You look at a guy who started his head coaching career in 1982. That's almost 40 years from the start of his head coaching career. Sure, he made the leap into the NBA as an assistant and then came back down to the collegiate level. But this is a guy who's been doing it for quite some time. He's made his rounds. He's been around the block five teams to the NCAA tournament made a couple of final four appearances with two of those teams. Was it Kansas state? He made the final four. Was it Florida as well as Oklahoma? Yeah. And so when we're looking at a career, I think Lon Kruger has a, a career that's been well lived. There's no other descriptive term that I can use that, but in general thoughts, Matt, I remember when Lon Kruger was hired 10 years ago, 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were disappointed because Kruger was not this home run hire that a lot of people wanted for the University of Oklahoma. There were a couple of names that were floating around at, at that point in time at some other universities like a VCU. Um, I know that there was Buzz and I'm, I'm blanking on his last name, who was a very, very highly sought after basketball coach. Oh, I know that Buzz Shaka, Williams. Yeah, Buzz Williams, Shaka Smart was joining that realm as well. Needless to say, Lon Kruger, I felt as though he came into Norman, came to the University of Oklahoma with not very high expectations that were placed upon him. And I remember sitting down, Matt, with you, and the only the only reason I could have thought that Oklahoma hired Lon Kruger was because he was an established coach with an established identity and an established path of which he wanted to take once he set foot on campus with a team. And ultimately Oklahoma was looking at him saying, we need a culture shift here. We need someone who can come in and, and pull the reins of this program and get us going back in the right direction. And I absolutely thought that Lon Kruger did do that. He was bringing in quality recruits guys of character who we knew weren't going to be one year guys. Now I get it. Trey young, a little bit of a different story there, but yeah, most but he, of the even, time, even Trey young was a surprise one year guy when he first signed with Oklahoma, no one really had him as being a one and done until they saw him play college basketball. Right. But I'm just saying <laughs> from the, from the onset, it wasn't thought to be that way. Right. Right. And so Lon Kruger recruits these guys that are going to be four year guys ends up getting a guy like buddy healed and goes to the final four. I, I think once again, when you talk about a legacy that he is, he's leaving behind at the University of Oklahoma, I think a lot of people will look upon him fondly, even though they may not have done so with the initial hiring. And we can even go a little bit further when we talk about the brand of basketball, when we talk about the identity of this team, Lon Kruger was very open about everything. He let you know the style that they were going to run. He was very candid in his interviews. He took a lot of the blame in in different situations and never once threw a player under the bus, never once singled a guy out and said they just didn't perform to the level that we were expecting them. So this was a a top-notch stand-up guy who came in and, in my opinion, did everything right. Ten years. Right, exactly. Ten years doing everything right. And once again, I I think the goal – was to turn this program and set them on, uh, if if you'll excuse me for my language here, but a righteous path, if you will. And I think Lon Kruger absolutely accomplished that. Yeah, and, and that's the that's the ultimate mark of a coach is is the program better off after you leave than than when you got there. And this this program was in such disarray after Jeff Capel that uh, they needed a guy like Lon Kruger. You mentioned it. You know, he already successful at Illinois. Took took Florida to the final four. It was the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks an assistant coach for the New York Knicks, you know, had a good run at UNLV before coming to Oklahoma. He was exactly what the Sooners needed in this program to get it back on track. And now it's in a good spot to, to offer this job to somebody who maybe has some clout. And, and one of the names is that's being thrown out is Dana Altman, who is currently the head coach of Oregon. Now the ducks are still playing, um, you know, they're still playing in the NCAA tournament. So I, I don't know if the, if, if they're going to get to talk to him anytime soon, but Rich, there's a guy in the state of Oklahoma that I, if I'm Joe Castiglione, I'm, I'm giving him a call. And that's, that dude's up in Tulsa right now at ORU again, ORU still playing in the sweet 16, but 
don't, don't you at least give Paul Mills a call and say, hey, man, we love what you're doing with that program. And can we talk? Because ORU has an established track record of putting guys from they're being very competitive at that level with that program to go into higher programs and sustaining success. And I, I mean, again, if, if I'm Joe Castiglione, I know there's the guys out there like Altman, there's, there's a, you know, that the Porter Mosier guy at, at Loyola, Chicago, but man, I just really like the dude at ORU and I can't think why you don't give Paul Mills a, a, a call. I wouldn't have an issue with starting the conversation. I do think there's going to be a lot of shifting. There's going to be a lot of posturing that happens as well from different individuals as well as different programs. So when it comes to Oklahoma, we got to label it as, as exactly what it is, Matt. And there's no denying that at the University of Oklahoma in Norman and with the fan base, football comes first. Yeah. And that basketball will be a secondary sport to football. Any sport that attempts to challenge for that reign will always take a backseat to football. And the focus, again, I, I'm not going to say that we don't need to put an emphasis on some of these other sports, but the focus will always rely on the biggest moneymaker. And until that shifts, which I don't see that happening anytime in the near future, guys are, are going to, I think, shrug at that opportunity. Let me say it this way. When I say shrug at the opportunity, Matt, I'm thinking more of someone who's coming from a place like Oregon, who has a direct connection with Nike and has the money that's being funneled from a company of that caliber into the school to help out with recruiting and different things that play a major role in how successful their programs are. Yeah, but Oregon's not a basketball first school either. Oregon's a football school as well. Um, so I, I think money talks and, and Joe Castiglione is going to be in a position where he can offer, you know, a, a good penny to somebody who wants it. But I, again, I, you know, Dana Altman's been around for so long that it, I mean, it's almost like you're getting long Kruger again, which could be a good thing because, you know, the guys, the guy's been there and, and he's, he's got an established track record, but but now are you ready to take that next step? And that's why I think you go younger. I don't think you go as young as Kellen Sampson, you know, who's an assistant coach for his dad there in Houston. I think what Lon Kruger has done to this program, he's elevated it from from the standpoint where it was just like I said in disarray after Jeff Capel to where it's a solid job and you can get a solid coach to come in there and not, not a guy who doesn't have any experience that, you know, Kellen played for this team under his dad, but I just, I, I think this program at, at this point right now is above the level that Kellen Sampson's at. And I know people are talking about him because of his connection to the university, because of who his dad is. But to me, again, I'm just going to come back to it and say, the best guy on, on the board is, is Paul Mills. And I'm telling you, Rich, the money that, that joke is Siglione could throw at him compared to the money he's going to get in a contract extension with ORU is, is apples to oranges night and day. I don't disagree with that statement. I do think what would need to happen if that were the case is that some inroads would have to be established in recruiting and it would be a storyline to follow to see what kind of connections that he pulls. He's already in the state of Oklahoma, but he's not necessarily 
competing recruit recruiting wise competing against teams like a Houston or like a Texas or or like a Baylor or like an Oklahoma so again when you think of the recruiting pools that exist around the state of Oklahoma it would be interesting to follow where those pipelines are established and if those can be maintained yeah I can see that that's that's a um that's, that's going to be point. for anyone who's yeah. hired, Matt. I mean, um, if yeah. we're being honest. No, I agree with that. And I don't. I don't think that that's um, that's out of the the. Um, I don't think that's 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 unfair of a statement. I, I think that I think it's you're spot on. Um, and so, it's going to be interesting to see, you know. But um, like I said, you know, Bill Self did pretty good, you know, coming from ORU, and uh, you look where he is today. So I'm just saying, there, it's not At a like basketball he, school. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying it's not like people haven't left ORU and have had success, you know, on the big stage. And, it, uh, you know, Bill Self's the first guy that comes to mind when, in, uh, in that fashion. I'm not going to disagree. Disagree with you on Bill Self. Matt, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of holding my tongue here because I don't want to get too much in. I know we've got the true or false segment. Oh, so we're, we're hitting this back up, up huh? Well, that's, yeah, that's actually going to be next. We are going to hit that true or false. This is going to be one of those questions. But when we look at the options that currently exist on the table, one thing we don't typically hear of, and this is where my true or false is going to go. So we'll just reiterate it during that time. And this is why I've been holding my tongue. When we look at options that naturally rise mm -hmm. as Oklahoma, a program, a university, like in Oklahoma, who plays in a Power Five conference, who seemingly always sit, tends to schedule an appropriate schedule, an appropriate slate of games to get themselves in an NCAA tournament. When we look at Lon Kruger's 10 years, we ultimately see that Lon Kruger only missed the tournament twice. Mm -hmm. He was in, he played or coached, excuse me, in seven of the past eight NCAA tournaments. Now that's forgiving last year because right. last year didn't take place. But when we look at, at what is happening and we look at some of the hires that Lon Kruger has made during his tenure at, at Oklahoma, I don't think it's inconceivable to look inward for an option as well. There are some up and coming guys. There are guys who have that experience, have the familiarity with the program, have the familiarity with the players. And when we begin to talk about guys like Austin Reeves and Brady Manick, I think that matters significantly who they bring in. And when we talk about the potential of them returning, if you get a guy who's already on this coaching staff, it bodes well for those guys coming back. Whereas if we don't get a guy who's on this coaching staff, I think the opposite then becomes true. No. And again, that's, that's another fair point. And the, the thing is, is that you, here's what it comes down to is whoever the, the next head coach is, I think their their recruiting call starts with Brady Manick and Austin Reeves. And I just, the, the guy that I think that really could have taken over this program, that could have been the, the Lincoln rally to Bob Stoops of the basketball was, was Steve Hansen who who's gone. Um, maybe, maybe coach Hartman could, could do it. I, I don't know that Pooh Williamson is, is ready uh, for that. I just, I, I don't, I don't know that that guy's there. Now, I, I do think that Castiglione could have a conversation with Hartman, and he's a guy that would be, if he doesn't get that job, he would be retained, you know, as an assistant and probably the top assistant. But again, just like I said, this program was beyond Kellen Sampson. It's not a disrespect to any of, of Long Kruger's staff. 
I just don't, I mean, you, you've got, um, I'm, I know you got Pooh Williamson, you got, um, Hartman and I'm blanking on, on the third guy that's on the bench. Um, but I, I just don't know that any of those guys, Rich, are ready to take this program over when you've got more established guys out there who could retain these assistants and, and retain those assistants. Therefore, you also have the opportunity to retain an Austin Reeves or retain uh, a Brady Manning because there there is now the threat of a guy like Austin Reeves saying, yeah, I'm going to play one more year, but since Coach Kruger's gone, I'm going I'm to go out as a graduate transfer. Same thing with Brady Manick. I, I want to talk real fast about Long Kruger's retirement itself, and I got two factors here. Everybody wants to know why, and, and no one knows for sure other than he wanted time with family, but I, I think you look at his son getting the job at, at UNLV. He wants to have the opportunity to watch his son coach just like – any dad wants to watch their son play or coach. He gets the chance to do that and to be a grandpa. But also I think the death of Lou Hill, the former assistant coach who passed away this last year, coaching for uh, Rio Grande Valley. I, I think that really kind of shook him as, as well. When you talk about how, how precious time is when, particularly when it comes to family. And I, I, I don't know that Long Kruger will ever come out and say this, but I do think those two things probably contributed more than uh, than people realize when it comes to his his announcement of retirement. He's contributed more than yes. people realize. Yeah, and and I feel like you're echoing a lot of the sentiments that I shared when it comes to Lon Kruger and what he will. I, I think what people will come to recognize that he meant for this program is without reiterating myself, I'll leave it there. All right. Well, we're going to move on. True or false? This is Richard's turn to ask the questions, and then we get to make that big transition from basketball to football. Well, welcome back to the Sooner Nation podcast, Matt. You and I have already dove in to a small snippet of my true or false question. So without any lead up, without any further ado, I'm just going to ask you the question. When it comes to Austin Reeves and when it comes to Brady Manick, we don't know what their decision is at this point. In fact, you even wrote an article about Austin Reeves saying, you know, it's not something that I've really considered. It's not something that I've thought about following the loss to Gonzaga in the second round of the NCAA tournament. There was that development that we've been talking about with Lon Kruger and the announcement of his retirement. Talk about how odd it is going to be for Oklahoma basketball fans, whether it's of men or the women's game, no Lon Kruger, no Coach Cole, no Sherry Cole on the sidelines anymore. Oklahoma will be replacing both of those coaches for the upcoming season. But when it comes to, to Brady Manick, when it comes to Austin Reeves, Matt, Lon Kruger's announcement that he will retire, true or false, means that there is no chance that they'll return to the university. Oh, that's false. No, I, I think you look at Brady Manick, he's a hometown kid. Uh, from Hera. So that's, I mean, it's what, 30 minutes from Hera, Oklahoma to, to Norman. Um, I, I don't think I could say true to that. That's true at all. Um, in, in fact, I, I think that if Brady Manick returns, regardless who the coach is, the odds on favorite is for him to return for the Sooners. And, and the truth there in that situation is that between Brady Manick and Austin Reeves, the, the guy who needs to return is Brady Manick. You know, the way his season shaped up with him getting COVID, with him dealing whatever injury issue he had, Brady Manick this last season was not the Brady Manick we saw the first three seasons. And if his aspirations are to play, 
at a higher level of professional basketball, he needs to come back. I think Austin Reeves showed enough that he, I don't think he'll get drafted in the NBA, but I think he's the guy that could get invited into a camp and play on a higher level overseas team. But again, he can come back and, and how much do these guys like college? How much do they like living in Norman? How much do they love this university? I think all of those things play a role in that as well as the head coach. But I don't think I can say that long Kruger retiring guarantees that they won't be back. I, I don't, I don't think that's true at all. So basically you're saying that if these guys come back, they're going to pull a Mark Sanchez, they're going to enroll was it? I don't think it was Mark Sanchez. Now that I've said that out loud, uh, but they're oh, going to dancing. Is that what yes. you're saying? No, that was Matt Leiner. Yes. That's right. That's right. The other so they're going to enroll in ballroom right. dancing, right? Right. Just so they can retain the role of student instead of just athlete and well, be think a student about, athlete. Think about the opportunity that they have now. I mean, if I'm if I'm the head coach, okay, I, I don't care who it is, okay. They Joe Castiglione calls me and says, "Hey, we love the Student Nation podcast. Why don't you come coach our basketball team?" The very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try to sell to both Brady Manick and. Austin Reeves, guys, you have the opportunity. If you want to play one more year of college basketball, you have the opportunity to help me bridge this program. I'm brand new here. You, you can break me in with this program and we can build a bridge from this season to next season. And, and you guys will be the stars. You'll be the leaders. I mean, and so it, it's a great opportunity regardless who that coach is. And that's why I don't think it's a done deal that Lon Kruger has gone now. One person that we know will not be with the team next year that at least we're led to believe is Kirk Weff. And that doesn't matter who mm. the coach is. As Oklahoma begins their pursuit of hiring a new head coach, we toyed around with this idea. So I'm just going to ask it point blank. Once again, true or false, Oklahoma will look inward for its next head coach. Yeah, I, I, I want to apologize for kind of toying around with this topic at the onset without uh, without even giving you the opportunity to say, hey, that's in the true or false. Uh, so I think based on what I've already said, this is going to be a false as well. I, I, I have a lot of respect for Lon Kruger and I have a lot of respect for his um, for his um, his his class or his, his assistant coaches. But I think Hanson was the guy that that could have transitioned this team over. He's gone. Um, I, I think this program is in a better spot than than anybody that's currently on the team as an assistant coach really is ready for um and so therefore i think it's false i really think that they're going to look at an established head coach and someone who has a track record um more even leading teams into the ncaa tournament if they strike out there then you can go back to those bench coaches but i don't think that's where joe castiglione starts well we know that the ultimate goal here is to win and you've got to put yourself in a position to win games, to recruit at a high level, to compete with some of the bigger names that may exist in the region, the Wichita States, the Kansas Jayhawks, those types of programs are the, the programs that Oklahoma is competing with, whether it's from the high school level or whether that's from the JUCO level. Mm -hmm. And what we know about Oklahoma, Matt, is they've had a string of success in going both routes, whether they brought in a Juco kid like a Romero Osby, Osby or whether they went to the high school level. And, and we've already mentioned probably the biggest name that's come out of high school and played an extended period of time at the University of Oklahoma, which was Buddy Heald, who ended up being a first round draft pick at a university. Needless to say, I'm going to switch topics on you here and keeping with this theme of 
quote unquote winning Oklahoma on the football field is also looking to put together a recipe for wins. They want to repeat as the big 12 champions. And what we know is that they want to compete for the national championship this year. That's something that a lot of people believe is within their grasp. However, there are some questions that exist on this team. And as we continue down this road, that is spring practice, spring ball, and we're rapidly heading towards the spring game, which we'll get to in a second. One name that consistently is thrown out in conversation, actually two names that have been thrown out in conversation is the name Clayton Smith, as well as Billy Bowman. Now we focused a little bit on Billy Bowman the last time I asked the true or false. So I'm not going to break from that trend. And I'm once again, going to throw his name out there because it appears as though he's been working out fairly successfully, even though he's just a true freshman, we know that he has the athletic ability to play on either side of the ball, but he's been working out on the defensive side of the ball at Nickelback. So when the Mm -hmm. spring game occurs and we move well beyond that into the fall, true or false, Billy Bowman, will be a starter at Nickelback in 2021. You're talking about in the regular season, not the the spring game. Uh Uh, No, that's false. I I still think it's Key Lawrence. And I think what what you're seeing with Billy Bowman, again, not a knock on his talent, but what you're seeing with Billy Bowman is the lack of depth at that position, which is something that you and I have talked about extensively with Buki transferring and going to Washington. There, you got to have someone there because if there's no one behind you to push you, then really the motivation to give a hundred percent every practice, it, it, it dwindles. And not that Key Lawrence isn't a guy who's not already motivated to get a hundred percent in practice, but just knowing that there's a kid behind you who's got a lot of talent and can really kind of make his way on the field in your absence. I, I think that provides the, the factor that they need not having somebody at that position, someone who stepped behind you. I do think, Key Lawrence is the odds-on favorite to to win that position. I I wouldn't be surprised to see Billy Bowman on the field this coming fall, but I don't I don't think it'll be as a starter. I think I've answered another, false on every single one of your questions so far. You have so far. Another name that I do believe people need to be aware of is Jeremiah Cradell. Lincoln Riley. Yeah, Lincoln's uh, mentioned him a couple times. Yes, he said that he's made the biggest. Alex Grinch is on board with this as well, saying that he's made the biggest leap from from year one Mm -hmm. as a full-time contributor into year two as a full-time contributor as anyone that they've ever seen within their coaching careers. I think that's a pretty big statement. I don't know where Oklahoma is looking at playing him, but knowing that he is in the secondary, I, I have to think that he may even get a look at Nickelback. So when you're talking about depth, Matt, I think there's a lot of opportunity for guys who are displaying the qualities that this team is looking for, who display the instincts that a guy like Alex Grinch is looking for specifically at that Nickelback position. So far, I'm not counting anybody out. It could be Key Lawrence. It could be Billy Bowman. It could be Jeremiah Cradell, or it could even be a name that we haven't even mentioned. But here's what we'll know as we get into the spring game is we'll have a better look at who's been working out at that position because they're going to put in a live live game situation and let the fans see them as well. Sure, it's going to be a very vanilla environment and atmosphere, but we'll get to see who's been working out at that position. And ultimately, we'll be able to decipher for ourselves who's got the leg up in that uh, competition to be the starter Mm -hmm. once we hit the fall. There's a lot I get that can happen in in the the summer. New recruits are going to step onto campus as well, and they'll start mixing or shuffling themselves into this mix as well, Matt. But when it comes to the spring game, 
true or false? We've seen, have, let me ask it, ask you this first. Have you seen how Oklahoma's doling out the tickets this year? No, I haven't. I know there was an announcement that came out earlier this week. Um, and so I haven't seen that. Um, so gotcha. Uh, well, I'm going to clue you in. Okay. Okay. On March 25th for the spring game champion society and premium seat holders will have the opportunity to buy tickets. March 25th. That was March 29th would be sooner club members. And then two days later on March 31st, public season ticket holders mm-hmm. will be able to get their hands on tickets. The capacity set at 25%, which basically means that there's going to be a limited number of tickets to go around. So true or false, those of us who are looking to get a spring game ticket won't be able to get our hands on them on March 31st because the first two tiers of people will have bought them up. Okay, so I don't know who you're including those of us because I'm a yeah. season ticket holder. So there, have, there you go. But you're you're here. you're in the third um, round. Yeah, I if don't. They're look, bought I, up in I, round one and sell, round two. Yeah, they're not going to sell out. out. No, I I don't think they'll sell out twenty five thousand in the, those first two. Um, if this was a year where Caleb Williams is is really competing for a starting job, then maybe everyone's seen Spencer Rattler. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that jump in there to see Kennedy Brooks back in this, in spring, Eric gray, go to YouTube and watch him play for Tennessee. I just don't think there's a, there's a big, there, there's not a, a massive position battle where you just really want to get in there and see who has a leg up in the spring. Like, like there was last year with the quarterback, like there's probably going to be next year with the quarterback. Um, so I don't, I, I don't think that it's going to sell out on those first two rounds. And, and I don't even know that's going to sell out with the season ticket holders, but um, I, I understand how they're doing it. And I appreciate, honestly, um, not because I'm a season ticket holder, but I can appreciate how they're, they're you know, the, those who give the most money, they've got a first crack at it. It won't be that way for regular season tickets. It, it'll be the normal system. And they've already said that they're expecting full capacity, but when you're limited you think about it, Rich, the, the spring game usually is between 20 and 40,000 people as it is. So there's no way in those first two rounds, we're going to sell 25,000 or 20,000 tickets. You said 25% capacity. So uh-huh. you're at 85,000 people. So it's going to be just say um, 20 round down. Yeah, say it's going to be just over 20,000. There's, there's no way that they're going to sell that many in the first two rounds of the ticket sales. So there we go. Uh, well, another round, for me. Round four is public and, and that's April 5th. Us I st- low lives, Matt, like myself, won't be able to get our hands on them <laughs> no, look, until still, April 5th. <laughs> no, you're still going to, there's still going to be tickets out there. I, I, I can almost guarantee it. Well, pre-sale is going to go up until April 4th. So like I said, we'll find out on April 5th. That's another date that's rapidly approaching. And then that spring game is going to take place on April 24th at 4 p.m. But Matt, here's one thing, one storyline that a lot of people are beginning to focus on. And unapologetically, Lincoln Riley has answered the question. Two times now, what we've seen is a quarterback transfer from mm-hmm. the University of Oklahoma to a, a conf, another Big 12 program. Austin Kendall being the first one, Chandler Morris being the second one. And both times, Lincoln Riley basically dragged his feet in an attempt not to necessarily block the transfer, but to disapprove of what was going on. I sat down in front of a TV and I watched Lincoln Riley describe his thoughts 
and why he was doing that. And again, I came off as unapologetic mm -hmm. to me and said, that's, that's just the belief we hold at the university of Oklahoma and the belief he holds as a coach. So my true or false for you stemming from that is true or false. The NCAA needs to step in and make a rule barring players from transferring and becoming immediately eligible if they transfer in conference. First of all, I'm glad you brought this up because this was something that we had on our docket to talk about and we didn't get to it before true or false. So now we get to do it now. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and stay here and say false. That way it's, it's the perfect five, <laughs> five questions, five false answers for me. Um, I, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's in conference. It's after one season. I, I hate what people are turning this into and, and we can talk more about it after this next break, but um, Lincoln Riley learned from the Austin Kendall thing. Um, I, I felt like Austin Kendall deserved better than what Lincoln Riley initially gave him. Lincoln Riley came to his senses because if you think about it, all Austin Kendall ever did at the university of Oklahoma was be a team guy. You know, he lost, he lost opportunity after loss, opportunity after loss. And finally he thinks he's going to get his opportunity and Jalen Hurts comes in. Um, so kudos to Austin Kendall for wanting to go and play. But again, the guy couldn't even get the starting job at West Virginia. But I think Lee and Roddy learned a lesson there. And that lesson doesn't apply to what's happening with Chandler Morris. And for Chandler Morris to leave the University of Oklahoma after just one season and go to TCU I'm, I'm with Lincoln Riley on this. I mean, he's, he's got to set out. He, he shouldn't be immediately eligible to go to a conference opponent and jump in there and play from day one. And, and I don't think Lincoln Riley, you, you can't, you said a couple of times, he's unapologetic about it. I don't think he needs to be apologetic. I don't think he needs to, to, to apologize. And I don't, I don't think he needs to say, well, I'm really sorry about this for Chandler Morris, but you know, no, it, it is what it is. The guy kind of knew the groundwork when he transferred out and, and, and again, I'll, I'll, well, this will be a good segue into our, our next conversation. And that is that people are making this out to be like, well, look at Lincoln Riley. He got Baker Mayfield to come in as a transfer, and he got Kyler Murray to come in as a transfer. He got Jalen Hurts to come in as a transfer, and he, he took advantage of all those guys and, and made them Heisman Trophy winners and went to the playoffs, and now here's this poor little guy wanting to go to Fort Worth and play, and Lincoln Riley's not giving him the same favor that he received. And that's just such a bad take on this, and it's wrong on so many fronts because it doesn't consider the fact that Baker Mayfield Oh yeah, he was a walk-on. He wasn't even a scholarship guy. And Kyler Murray was in a different conference. Jalen Hurts in a different conference. What did Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray have to do when they got to the University of Oklahoma? Even though Baker Mayfield wasn't a scholarship guy, he had to sit out a year. Even though Kyler Murray was in a different conference, he had to sit out a year. Jalen Hurts is the only transfer that came in with immediate eligibility because he was a graduate transfer. Guess what? Chandler Morris isn't a graduate transfer. Chandler Morris isn't coming out of the SEC. He's coming. Oh, and Chandler Morris wasn't a walk-on. He's a scholarship player going from one Big 12 program to another Big 12 program and wanting to play immediately. And Lincoln Riley has, within the ground rules of the, of the Big 12 conference, Lincoln Riley has every right to say, nope, not going to allow it. 
You can go there. You can be on scholarship. You can participate. But just like Baker Mayfield did, and just like Kyler Murray did, you're going to have to sit out. And I, I don't, I, I don't see why it's such a big deal. Why, why do we say, well, we got to change the rules? The NCAA is going to step in now and fix this. What, why? There's a reason it is the way it is, and this is that reason. So a guy can't go from one program one year to another program the next year. It's just, it, it was already there, and it works, and it's there for a reason. If Chandler Morris wanted to play immediately, he could have done that. Charleston Rambo, guess what? He's playing immediately. TJ Pledger, guess what? He's playing immediately. You, you got all these guys who left this program, and, and they're playing. They have playing time. Charles Rambo went to the ACC. TJ Pledger went to the Pac-12. Chandler Morris had options, but he chose to stay in conference. And so that's more of a Chandler Morris decision than it is a Lincoln Riley being a big nasty meanie. So there, there. I'm sorry. That that's the end of my rant because it just drives me crazy when people try to do this. I feel like you're saying that there there is a rule that's currently in place for transfers. Is that yeah, what you're it's, getting it's, at? It's in, it's in the guidelines of the, so, of, of the Big 12. So you're still maintaining the false statement on the pretense that a new rule doesn't need to be created. No, no, absolutely. It's false. The, the okay. NCAA does not need to step in here because if you're asking for the NCAA to step in, then what basically what you're saying is this isn't working. And, and I'm tired. Look, I have a son who played college football, okay? Nothing at the level of what these guys are playing, but I have a son who played college football and he was at a, a low level division two school and he got so much stuff, so much stuff. And I'm, I'm tired of, I'm tired of every, every time an athlete doesn't get what they want, everybody piles in and talks about how, Oh, these people, you know, Lincoln Riley's won all these things and got all this money and he won't even let this poor kid do this. I'm sorry. Chandler Morris made that decision. Chandler Morris had two opportunities to play football next fall. The first opportunity is he could have been the backup quarterback at the University of Oklahoma. And the second opportunity is he could have gone to any other conference in America. But he chose Fort Worth, and that's his decision. And let's stop making Lincoln Riley a bad guy and Chandler Morris a victim. Chandler Morris made his decision. And, and Rich, you know I was high on Chandler Morris coming in. I, he's the guy. You remember in that class when we were breaking it down, I was like, they need to get this Chandler Morris kid. So it's not like I don't like Chandler Morris. I don't like the situation this has turned into, making Chandler Morris a victim, because he's the one who made the decision to go to TCU. So, no, NCAA doesn't need to step in. We don't need more rules. We just need to say, okay, this is the system. This is the way it works. Chandler, you chose TCU. Suck it up, Buttercup, and you'll play in 22. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there you, you, have you, it. you got me going, man. There you have it. Yeah. I'm still reading, and everyone is going to portray this in a negative light towards Lincoln Riley because Lincoln Riley's an adult. I, I get – some of the comments, I get some of the negativity, but I also get Lincoln Riley's standpoint, much like you're saying, what are the benefits of a kid transferring in conference and what secrets could he ultimately relay to a future program? I'm not saying that there's anything. I'm not saying that Lincoln Riley has entrusted Chandler Morris with a secret playbook and Chandler Morris ran off with it into the night and is found south of the Red River <laughs> in Fort Worth. I'm not suggesting that as all, at all. I believe that these programs, the playbooks, 
what what Lincoln Riley has done is he show, showed us consistently that he's willing to cater his offense towards the quarterback. So it doesn't matter who's in there. It's going to be a specific set of plays that caters to the strengths of that signal caller. And Chandler Morris was a completely different quarterback than a guy like a Spencer Rattler. I'm not stepping up on any kind of a soapbox here. I'm not making any kind of an argument. All I'm saying, Matt, is I can see where both sides are coming from. And if I had to draw a line in the sand and step to one side or the other, I'm going to put one foot on both, on both sides of the line. I'm totally teasing you. I'm going to side you're with just going to ride Riley. the fence here, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, I'm going to side with Lincoln Riley. And it's, it's for a lot of the reasons that you've already, you've already pointed out here. The NCAA does have a rule. There are guidelines. And I know that the NCAA has catered towards transfers so much so that it seems as if you transfer once you get a pass, you mm -hmm. you're granted that immediate eligibility, given that you played a minimal role on your previous team. Now you can transfer as a graduate transfer and get that all day long. But when we see these guys who are in backup roles, who recognize that they're not going to get the opportunity that they had hoped for in the future, and then they opt to transfer, it's as if the NCAA has a blank check for those names. They cash it each and every time. And, and we've seen that with the development and with the aggregation of these names in what's become the transfer portal. So needless to say, Matt, I, I think the NCAA has catered towards this kind of a culture that I can transfer without any consequence. And now people are wanting to reap that benefit and forget about the, the previous consequence that is still in play here. No, you're absolutely right. And, and again, let's look at another Oklahoma quarterback, Tanner Mordecai. He transferred. He's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but he'll get to play because he went to SMU. And, and COVID opened a door for a lot of guys to transfer, you, you know, and, and there was a lot of waivers that were given. But again, there's a rule in place for in-conference transfers. And so it's, it's, it's this give an inch, take a mile mentality. We're, we're giving you an inch. We're letting you transfer. You have all these opportunities to go anywhere you want and play. But you pick the one place that you can't go play, and now we're going to make it a big stink that Lincoln Riley is, is the guy who's keeping you from playing. And, but but is it even Chandler Morris and his family making the big stink, or is it the public and the media? No, it, no, because I agree. Every, that, that's that's a fair statement. It's it's the media, it's the public, uh -huh. and it, and what yes, sells it right now? What what gets people to click? It's oh, Lincoln Riley, you know. Because listen, there's there's nine other teams in the Big Twelve who don't like Lincoln Riley because this guy dominates the conference, you know, and the and the entire SEC doesn't like Lincoln Riley because he dominates. The SEC when the, most of the time, okay, you got those college football playoff. Uh, but look, hey, Florida Gators—they're they, not liking. Uh, they're not liking Lincoln Riley right now. So you, it's clickbait. People are coming up with this, and it's a false narrative. And that's what I think puts me on my on my soapbox with this because they're bringing in Jalen Hurts, they're bringing in Baker Mayfield, they're bringing in Kyler Murray, they're bringing all those guys into this conversation who don't really apply to the situation. And a guy like Tanner Mordecai, he applies a lot more to this situation. Charleston Rambo at Miami applies a lot more to this situation. You know, TJ Pledger at Utah applies a lot more to this situation. You got all these guys going out and Lincoln Riley's letting them go out. But the one guy who, who chooses to stay in the big 12, that's where we're going to draw the line in the sand. And, and so the, at I least guess, he's consistent. Well, my, my frustration is my frustration is this. it's not the same as Austin Kendall. Okay. Austin Kendall, again, learning experience, Lincoln Riley changed his mind on that. 
And I'm and again, I thought Lincoln Riley at the, at the onset of Austin Kendall, bad choice, bad PR, bad image, but he came around on it. It's not that same situation for Chandler Morris. He's a one-year guy, a scholarship guy, wanting to go and play in another conference school. He's not, Lincoln Riley's never been in this situation before. So there's no other situation you can compare it to. But man, listen, if you're a national guy and you're going to bring up Jalen Hurts, doesn't compare to this situation, and you're going to bring up Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray who don't compare to this situation, then you got to bring up Charleston Rambo. You got to bring up Tanner Mordecai. You got to bring up TJ Pledger because those are all guys who left this program and will be playing for their new teams in 2021 because they made the decision to leave the Big 12 Conference. Is it really that big of a deal? And I'm going to take the opposite side of this conversation. When you look at TCU's roster, when you look at the fact that they have 10 quarterbacks listed Mm -hmm. on their roster with an incumbent starter expected to return next year, unless I've missed something in Max Duggan, does a guy like Chandler Morris even, even crack the depth chart here? I think there was a chance. Look, the quarterback's been an issue at TCU for the last couple of seasons. And even Max Dugan wasn't in, in 20, 2020, he wasn't what they had in 2019. And, and there were well, some medical I mean, issues at the beginning yeah. and so forth. And you, and you gotta, you gotta include that, but you know, look, this, this is a team that's like three years, two years removed from playing in the cheese it bowl. And they had to put a guy out there who had a club foot. That's a real deal. I mean, they, they actually had to put a guy out on the field who had a, who had a, he couldn't move his foot. You don't believe me? Go YouTube it. This is Googleable information. So yeah, I think Chandler Morris had a chance in Fort Worth, and I think he still does, just not in 2021. <laughs> okay, well that's going to wrap that up. Um, let's talk real fast before we close this out. Oklahoma softball Sooners uh, take down Team Mexico in a uh, in a three game sweep. Uh, first of all, Rich, how impressive was it? This this is some Olympians. I mean, th- these are these are the team that Mexico is trying to field to put in the Olympics. And you got OU winning by run rule. You got OU winning by shutout. And then you got OU winning by walk-off. Not necessarily in those orders. I think I got them a little bit out of order there. But bottom line is they swept Team Mexico. And um, is that based on what you've seen Oklahoma do already this season, does the does the sweep of Mexico, does that impress you even more? Or is it just like, oh, okay, let's get on the conference play now? Man, I believe that Oklahoma on the softball field – was undisputed the the number one team of the country. Now, the people who are actually voting in these polls may disagree with me because Oklahoma was not a unanimous number one the last time I had checked. When we look at what Oklahoma- I think they are now though, I really do. When we look at what Oklahoma's doing, pitching wise, bringing along some of these youngsters behind their their two seniors and Giselle Juarez and Shannon Sale, you like the way that Patty Gasso has organized and orchestrated and directed her team year and year and year and year again. Why? Because it sets them up for the level of success that we're seeing here. They've got a handful of recruits who are freshmen, a handful of younger players who are making an impact specifically in the infield. And I continuously go back to the statement that she made about this may very well be the best outfield that Mm -hmm. she's ever had. And it shocks me. Sure. There's Jocelyn Allo. And when you talk about the prowess that she has at the plate, I don't know that she's quick enough 
for me in the outfield, I would have said a, a better player would have been a Lauren Chamberlain. I don't know that that's a fair comparison to make, but they have a lot of similar qualities about them. And when you talk about team, just completeness, this team seem seemingly has no weakness and mm-hmm. I'm not making any excuses. I'm not looking at Jocelyn Olo and singling her out, but I know that she's gained a name because of what she can do at the plate. Not typically what she's known for defensively, even though she makes play after play after play on the left side of this, this defense in the outfield. When I look Matt back at the, the series that was against an Olympic team, it's not just an Olympic team. It's a team. It's a roster full of division one level athletes who some of those played at Oklahoma. In fact, Mexico team, Mexico has a national player of the year on their roster. It's Sydney Romero's sister mm-hmm. who played at Michigan. That was a team that made the college world series the year Oklahoma won it and was right there in the thick of it for quite some time. Needless to say, you have to look at what Oklahoma currently has. You have to look at the lack of experience perceptively when we're looking as outsiders into the program at the collegiate level, there is a lack of experience, but these players are primed. They're ready. It shows that they had a year off and that they were hungry to get back onto the field and get back to work. And more importantly is to begin chasing that, that next national championship that I do believe Patty Gasso will bring in this year. Yeah. And behind closed doors, I, I, I would love to know the conversations between Sydney Romero and this Oklahoma pitching staff as they kept her hitless through three games. You know, she's an assistant coach on this team. And we, we kind of, I'm not going to say they came after us, but we had someone drop a comment um, on one of our podcasts recently and say, Hey, Sydney Romero's not playing for team Mexico. She's an assistant at the university of Oklahoma. What well, that's true. She is an assistant at the university of Oklahoma, but she also went over for team Mexico through three games against this pitching staff. And you, there had to have been, you know, now that she's back and this team's in Ames, Iowa, getting ready to start, conference play i just wonder what giselle juarez what shannon sell what, what some of these pitchers may be saying to their coach who couldn't get a hit off of them um through three games and i just again I, there's got to be some fun ribbing going on uh between those girls and and their coach um in Ames this weekend i mentioned i think last week that the iowa state cyclones are kind of surprisingly good this year when we talk about the upper tier teams of this conference, Rich, we, we talked about Oklahoma, clearly the cream of the crop. We talked about Texas. We talked about Oklahoma State. I don't know that we had Iowa State being one of the top four teams in the Big 12 through the non-conference portion of the season, but but there they are. They're, they're sitting there, and they're looking impressive at 22-5 and five on the season. Um, they're, they're tied with Oklahoma for the most wins through the non-conference portion of the season. They've got two more losses than Oklahoma State and Texas do, both of them coming in with three losses. The Sooners, the only team in the Big 12, sitting, you know, perfect. But this Oklahoma team, they've beaten some of the smaller schools that are around the country. They've beaten top 25 opponents in Arizona State, and they've beaten Missouri twice. They've beaten the Mexican national team with future Olympians on it and future all-stars from college, from their respective colleges on it. Now it's time to go into conference play. And you talked about this, this no, no weakness in this lineup. If you had to, if you just had to put a bet on it, when you go in the conference play, if one aspect of this team was going to falter, would you bet it to be the pitching or the hitting? Wow. 
That's a really difficult question. I am going to have to say the hitting though. And the reason for that is you're looking at a player with experience that's unrivaled. And I'm not talking about just in the big 12. I'm talking about as a collegiate pitcher, Giselle mm-hmm. Juarez, it's not the same as baseball. We're very familiar with the fact that a player can step into the circle on the softball diamond and pitch game after game after game. In fact, if we wanted to go back, we could look at the the pages who basically pitched from start to finish. And then when it came down to it, Patty Gasso would settle on one or the other as they got closer and closer into the world or to the world series um, series of games. I, I didn't really know how to label that, <laughs> but when we're looking, when we're looking at softball and knowing that it's slightly different, a pitcher do, can completely dominate a team. And I believe that they set the trajectory for any program. It it's no different for Oklahoma, which is a Juarez Shannon sales going to come in and be more of a closer for me as the season wears on. And we'll see that the two pages Paige Parker and Paige Lowry situate situation once again, play out for Juarez and for sale. So pitching, I think is pretty solid, Matt, that if I had to pick one and I, I don't think that it will, but if you're making me, we're sitting here in this situation and you're making me pick one, I've got to go with something that has a little bit more of an up and down flow to it, a little bit more of a um, consistency and some, some dips if you will, in hitting percentages, because not you're not going to be hot every game from the plate as you face a different pitcher. Yeah, and I, I want to throw Nicole May's name in there when you're talking about pitchers because she's been really good this season as well. Um, and, and you know, and hitting is, is is streaky. You know, you can be hot one moment and then you can just kind of go into a funk. And so I think I agree with you on that. Yeah, thank you. I can't think of the term streaky. There you go. And uh, Oklahoma playing at Iowa State this weekend starts on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then they come back to Norman Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, that way they're not playing on Easter Sunday against Kansas and Norman. Those are the first two Big 12 conference series for the Sooners. Final question for you, Rich. When, when Oklahoma goes to play Wichita State here in about two weeks, um, they are going to Wichita, Kansas on April 7th. It's my brother's birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, bro. Um, will Oklahoma still be perfect 28-0 on the season? Well, hang on. I'm pulling up the schedule real quick. I just told you. I was state in Kansas. Mm-hmm. I just want, I had to see it for myself. Not, oh, okay. It's not that I don't believe you, Matt, when you make some of these statements. It's just that I have to see it for myself. I, I do. I do have to say yes to that question. And I get when you look at Iowa state and you look at the schedule that they've had and you look at the the number of wins that they've collected, it's easy to say, wow, that's a pretty impressive team. But when they've met top tier competition, whether that's from the sec or from the, the PAC 12, it seems as though they they've had some struggles in getting over that hump. Iowa state is going to be a, a, a solid team. They're just not a top tier team for me. So I think Oklahoma not a, not a lot of issues there. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those games was relatively close, but I think for the most part, Oklahoma handles business and then does the exact same thing in front of a home crowd in Norman against Kansas heading into that Wichita state game. So you're saying Iowa state's not as good as advertised. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say? That's, that is what I'm saying. So which team, uh, 
ranked below Iowa State in the Big 12. I mean, obviously, there's no standings right now for conference play, but you got Baylor down there. You got Texas Tech down there. Which one of those teams, Kansas, would you say, yeah, they're, they're below Iowa State right now in number of wins on the season? But I, I think when they, when they go against the Cyclones, it'll be a different story that they'll, they'll be the better team. Yeah, I, I really – it's easy for me to look at Baylor and attempt to single them out. Baylor had, what, the first, like, six games, seven games of their season canceled. And so they are a little bit behind the curve and what we're looking at for a measuring stick, which is just mm-hmm. wins and losses through the non-conference portion of the schedule. But everybody who's in the conference that's below Iowa State, and this even includes Iowa State, has seemed to have trouble with those – bigger name teams. I mean, right. Oklahoma state came in and be a, a pretty salty LSU squad. You have now Baylor who's played uh, Arizona state. I think um, Iowa state has also played them and they both guess what? Got a, got a mark in the loss column. So when I'm looking at them at it's, it's really hard. I know Baylor's got a win against Arizona state. They've also got that loss <laughs> sitting mm-hmm. there as well. So it's really hard for me to gauge which one of these teams would be a, a more difficult challenge. If you're looking at wins and losses, it's easy to say Iowa state, but I think they may be a, a Baylor and an Iowa state may be on a, a similar level. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I would say this, Iowa State, common opponents, Iowa State has lost both to Arizona State and Missouri, two teams that Oklahoma has beaten in top 25. Iowa State also has Wichita State on their schedule, but um, clearly haven't played them to this point. Okay, well, that's going to wrap it up for us. He's Rich. I'm Matt, Sooner Nation Podcast. You can find us online at Sports Heartland. No, that's Twitter. Sorry. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. You can find us online, heartland-sports.com. You can subscribe to the Sooner Nation podcast just about anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, we'd love to hear back from you. Thanks for those who leave comments. So there's a, a podcast page on our website, heartland-sports.com, and you can tell us where you agree or where you can disagree. I went false for all five of Richard's two or false questions this week. Am I crazy? Is Lincoln Riley being too mean to Chandler Morris? Share us your thoughts. We'd love to know and have your feedback. And uh, we may include that on a future podcast as well. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.